Good morning. My name is Micah. Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Today's our last message on this series through Romans. Um, Some of you may remember a couple years ago we preached through Romans chapters 6 through 8. So now we're kind of like Star Wars. You had the middle episodes, now we're going back to the prequels. And today we'll finish with those as we finish up chapter 5. And so after today's sermon, we're going to move on to other parts of God's Word. But for today, the finale, Romans chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that um, although we were born into sin and death, although we inherited one man's sin before we even ourselves decided to go down the same road, we also are invited to one man's forgiveness and righteousness and holiness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. Thank you. I ask that uh, Jesus would be made much of today. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Back in 1996, I was accepted into uh, Navy Navy pilot training. And before I could begin that, I had to go go through uh, officer candidate school beforehand. And that's kind of like boot camp for officers. So we had marine drill instructors, and their entire goal was to make our lives miserable. They wanted to get us to quit. That was their entire goal in in their life, to get us to quit. They wanted to weed people out because the Navy didn't want people going into their flight training unless they were willing to go through a little bit of pain first. So when I was going through this officer candidate school, each day one of us officer candidates, we had to lead the class. And that basically just meant we had to lead them correctly, marching them from class to class and event to event. And so when it was your turn, though, to lead the class, the heat was on because all the drill instructors were watching you to see if you messed up. Because if you did, they were more than happy to make you pay. So depending on how badly you messed up, they'd oftentimes make the entire class pay. And the worst place for this to happen was at the chow hall. All the drill instructors would be eating together, just watching each person walk in and waiting to pounce on some poor soul who marched in with the wrong cadence. So the the day that it was my turn to lead the class around, I thought I'd have some fun with it. I mean, from my perspective, we were already miserable, so why not have some fun in the midst of our misery? So as I marched our class up to the chow hall that day, I decided I'd come up with my own ditty to march them to. You know, instead of the usual left, right, left, followed by some rhyme that everybody's been saying since World War II, I decided that I'd march the class into the tune of Oompa Loompa from the Willy Wonka movie. (laughs) It was the perfect cadence to march to. Oompa Loompa, Oompa Dee Doo. I have another riddle for you. And that's as far as I got. Before, <laughs> before the, the, uh, the president of our class, who was a big guy, he was a former NFL player, he promptly relieved me of my duties and shut me up and stuck me in back in the line with my class. So <laughs> and the reason he did that is because my actions 
would have affected the entire class in a terrible sort of way. You ever consider how common that is? The actions of one man can affect an entire group of people. The actions of one man, Alexander the Great, resulted in an empire that stretched for 3,000 miles. The actions of one man, Genghis Khan, resulted in the largest contiguous empire in all of world history. The actions of one man, Gavrilo Princip, it resulted in World War I when he assassinated the Archduke Ferdinand. The actions of one man, Adolf Hitler, led to World War II when he sent his troops into Poland. The actions of one man often affect a lot of people. The two most profound examples of this are in our passage today in Romans chapter 5. We're about to see that the actions of one man, Adam, affected every person on the planet in a terrible way. And the actions of one man, Jesus, affected every person on the planet who puts their faith in him in a spectacular way. Let's read that passage, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, and we're going to read to the end, verses 12 through 21. And as we read this passage, just take note of that phrase, how often we hear it in this passage, one man. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In this passage, we see that the actions of one man affected the entire world. The actions of one man, Adam, gave every one of us sin and death. In the actions of one man, Jesus, gave every one of us who believes in him justification and life. 
The first man, Adam, gave us original sin. The second man, Jesus, gave us original grace. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. A couple questions come to mind right away as I read that verse. Was Adam an actual, real person? I mean, were, were Adam and Eve, were they the literal first human beings on earth? Or were they just some sort of figurative, um, fictitious character to represent man? Because either they were the actual first humans, or did they slowly evolve from, act, from, from microbes to jellyfish, to amphibians, to birds, to primates, to Adam. Because if mankind evolved from more primitive life forms, then there was no definitive first human being to walk the earth. Instead, there was millions of years of transition from monkey to part monkey and part man to more man and less monkey to mostly man to man. There was never a definitive first human being. That also means there was a whole lot of death that took place on earth before man even appeared. But in this passage, Paul clearly treats Adam as a literal, historical person, not some figurative representative of mankind, but the first created man to walk the earth. And Paul also clearly tells us here that death came through the first man's sin. In other words, death didn't exist before Adam sinned. Both of these are very hard to reconcile if mankind simply evolved over 3.8 billion years. If the creation account in the first two chapters of Genesis is just kind of an allegory, if there was no distinct first human being named Adam, then our passage today in Romans 5 here, it's also false. It's a bunch of make-believe. In this passage, Paul treats Adam as an actual, historical, first human being created by God, which is why, as the first person of the human race, Adam was the representative of the human race, which means his actions affected every human being who would ever live after him. I'll get into more of that shortly, but the next question I want to address is, why does Paul even go after Adam in this passage? Why does Adam sin second? Eve sinned first. Why didn't he go after Eve? The reason Paul goes after Adam and not Eve, the reason it is Adam's sin that plagued the human race is because God's command was given to Adam. Eve was not even created yet when God told Adam in Genesis chapter 2, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That command was given to Adam. Not only was the command given to Adam, but the responsibility was also given to Adam. Adam was given headship over Eve. Eve was not responsible for Adam. Adam was responsible for Eve. 
he should have stopped her from disobeying God. But instead, he joined right in and said, you know, as the one responsible for the entire human race, I think I'll join you in rebelling against God. That's why Paul goes after Adam in our passage today. One, because he was an actual first person. He wasn't some figurative, fictitious, allegorical character. He actually existed as the first created person. But two, because he was the one responsible. He was the one who represented himself, Eve, and the entire human race. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. That line in verse 12, that is the definition of original sin. When Adam sinned, his entire nature changed from innocent to guilty. Everything about Adam was affected. He was no longer sinless. Instead, he became sinner. And it wasn't just Adam's nature that changed. The nature of the entire human race that would come after Adam, that would come from Adam, it was also changed because of Adam didn't just sin as a man. He sinned as man, as the representative of the entire human race, which means sin and guilt is now a part of our nature as human beings. It's who we are. We were not born innocent like Adam was. We were born guilty. We inherited it from Adam. And so because you and I were born sinners, we do what comes naturally. It's who we are. We sin. A lot of people have this backwards. They think the reason that we are sinners is because we sinned. You know, I once was innocent and good. I was born a good person. But then when I sinned, I became a sinner. Uh Uh-uh, that's not how it happened. That only applied to Adam and Eve. They were the only humans ever created who at one point in their lives were not sinners. For the rest of us, you and I were never not sinners. Death spread to all men. Because all sinned, verse 12. In other words, when Adam sinned, it was as if the entire human race sinned and it became part of our nature, part of our DNA. Charles Spurgeon says, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. You and I were born with a nature that seeks sin. David lamented this in Psalm 51 when he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Later on in the Psalms, he said, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. He didn't say the wicked are estranged when they choose to walk away from the Lord. He says the wicked are estranged from the womb. This explains why you don't have to teach little Tommy, the baby, to be selfish. He already is. You don't have to teach little Tommy as a toddler to steal. He's already a thief. You don't need to teach Tommy, the kid, how to hit. He's already violent. You don't need to teach Tommy, the teenager, how to lust. He's already an adulterer. 
You don't need to teach Tommy the adult how to love himself either because he's already an idolizer of himself. Before you and I were even born, before any of us ever even sinned, we were already sinners because we inherited our sin nature from our first human father, Adam. That's why we sin. We're not sinners because we sinned. We sin because we're sinners. Original sin through one man, Adam. And it was before the law was even given. Look at verse 13. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Sin, by definition, is the breaking of God's law. So if there's no law, there's no law to break. And if there's no law to break, then there's no sin, right? Well, the law didn't come until Moses, thousands of years after Adam. But verse 13 tells us that sin was in the world before the law was given. How can that be? How can there be sin when there's no law to sin against? Because Adam had already been given one personal law by God. Don't eat from that one tree. Adam broke the only law there was to break. And so even before mankind had the Ten Commandments from Moses, they already had the disposition to break those commandments. Inherited from Adam. Death reigned, according to verse 14, from Adam to Moses. Adam's sin brought death. Verse 14 continues. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. What was so special about the transgression of Adam? It was unique in the sense that prior to him sinning, Adam was pure. He was innocent, righteous. He was in perfect communion with God. But because his sin made all of us sinners, our sin is not like the transgression of Adam. We never had perfect union with God to lose like Adam did. We started out guilty already. Some of you might hate that thought of original sin. You might argue that it's not fair. Why should the actions of one man infect the entire human race with sin and death? I wasn't there when Adam sinned. I didn't even exist yet. Why am I guilty for his sin? I think you might make a valid argument that it's not fair. But do you want fair? Because if God was fair, he would have instantly killed Adam and Eve the moment they sinned. And the entire human race would have ended no sooner than it began. If God was fair, he would have given you the opportunity, like Adam, to obey him. And then he would have watched you fail, just like he watched Adam fail. If God was fair, he would then kill each one of us for our sins. 
instead of sending his own son to die in our place. What a wonderful thing that God is not always fair. Look at the end of verse 14. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Paul here is now comparing Adam with Jesus. He's saying Adam was a type of Jesus. What he means by that is that Adam, like Jesus, represented the entire human race. In other words, just as the actions of one man, Adam, affected everyone, in the same way the actions of one man, Jesus, would also affect everyone. That's what makes this doctrine of original sin so wonderful. The beauty of this doctrine of original sin is that this same practice of a representative whose actions affect the entire human race, it's the very same way that the human race is saved. The actions of one man, Adam, changed the spiritual outcome for all humanity. So also the actions of one man, Jesus Christ, changed the spiritual outcome for all humanity. That's how Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians, In Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The precedent for the doctrine of original sin is the very same precedent for the doctrine of original grace. The actions of one man affecting the entire human race. And so in the remaining verses here, Paul contrasts Adam with Jesus to show that even though their actions affected us all, they affected us in wonderfully opposite ways. Starting in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. In other words, what resulted from Adam couldn't be more opposite from what resulted from Jesus. Verse 15 continues, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. See the contrast? In Adam, many died. But in Jesus, grace abounded for many. And this is not evenly measured. It's not one for one. It's not like Adam's transgression was one run for the away team and Jesus' home run was one run for the home team. Jesus' home run was a grand slam for the home team. That's why Paul says, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The free gift of Jesus is immeasurably more potent than the trespass of Adam. Because the trespass, the power of sin and death, could be broken by our Savior. But the power of our salvation can never be broken. Jesus broke the power of sin and death that resulted from Adam's trespass, but nothing can break the power of Jesus Christ that resulted in his free gift. 
John Calvin said it this way, Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam was to destroy. Next contrast, verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Adam's trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift of Jesus brought justification. Think about this for a minute. One trespass, one trespass brought condemnation for all mankind. That is how much God hates sin. He will not, he cannot tolerate sin because our sin is treason against his holiness. You know what's even greater than God's hatred for sin? His love for the sinner. Sin is so offensive to God that just one sin could condemn the entire human race to hell. But the free gift of our Savior is so powerful that it brings justification, erasing the trillions of sins that every believer has ever committed and will ever commit. That is the power of grace. That is the love that God has for each and every one of you. Verse 17, another contrast. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Because of Adam's sin, death reigned. Because of Jesus, life reigns. The abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Adam's trespass brought the exact opposite of what he had intended. Adam expected to become like God when he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to become all-knowing, life at its fullest, Instead, it brought him death. But Jesus' free gift brought exactly what he intended. Grace, righteousness, reigning in life, eternal life. Next contrast, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Adam brought condemnation for all men. Jesus brought justification for all men. The condemnation that Adam brought was for all men without exception. The justification that Jesus brought was for all men, all people who would believe in him. See, when Paul uses this phrase here, all men, 
In regard to Adam's trespass, he's referring to the entire human race. But when he uses this phrase, all men, in reference to Jesus' free gift, he's referring to all believers. Remember, Paul here in this book of Romans, he's writing to a group of believers. He's not saying every single human being on the planet is saved because of Jesus. That's universalism. That's not biblical. Paul is saying every single human being who is a believer is saved because of Jesus. He clarified this back in chapter 1 of Romans when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Original sin affected all, every person who has ever been born. Original grace affects all believers, every person who has ever been born again. Next contrast, verse 19. For as by the one man's sin, disobedience, I'm sorry, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. In Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. In Jesus' obedience, the many were made righteous. Jesus' obedience was perfect and complete. He was actively obedient. He was always obeying God's law. Jesus never, ever failed. He was also passively obedient, meaning he submitted to the penalty of God's law, to the penalty of death, without any resistance. So in this perfect obedience, Jesus satisfied God's standards for righteousness and he satisfied God's wrath for unrighteousness. And because of his obedience, all who believe in him are made righteous. God no longer sees our sin because it was dealt with fully on the cross. Earlier we sang the hymn, It Is Well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. Because in Jesus we have been made righteous. Final contrast in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law only made Adam's sin and our sin even greater, but the greater the sin, the greater the grace. Grace abounded all the more, it says. You and I having inherited Adam's sin... And then having been given Jesus' grace, do you realize that we're actually better off than Adam was? We're better off than if we had been born sinless like Adam was. Because Adam could fall. And you and I could have fallen. We would have fallen had we been born without sin. But because of Jesus, you and I cannot fall. We are better off having been born into sin and 
invited into Christ's grace. God's grace will never run out on us. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the result of the actions of one man. Adam gave us death. Jesus gave us life. Eternal life. The reason Paul brings up Adam in this passage is to show us how one man as the representative of all mankind affected everyone. And just as one man afflicted the entire human race with sin, another man, Jesus Christ, paid for that sin. In Adam, we inherited sin. In Jesus, we are given grace. In Adam, we inherited condemnation. In Jesus, we are in, or we, we are given justification. In Adam, we inherited unrighteousness. In Jesus, we were made righteous. In Adam, we inherited death. In Jesus, we are given life, eternal life. And the contrast between Adam and Jesus don't end there. Adam was tested in a beautiful garden. Jesus was tested in a barren desert. Adam failed his test. Jesus passed his test. Adam sought life, and he gave us death. Jesus sought death to give us life. Adam took from a tree. Jesus hung from a tree. Adam took what was not his. He was a thief. Jesus turned to the thief and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Every one of us inherited Adam's trespass simply by being born. Every one of us is invited to inherit Jesus' free gift by being born again. One man, Adam, infected you with sin. Have you called upon the actions of one man, Jesus, to heal you with grace? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that you, you, you stopped at nothing. Our sin was that repulsive that just one could condemn the entire human race. Your love is so profound that trillions of sins were paid for on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you are nothing like Adam. You are flawless, righteous, holy, life-giving. You sought death for us. And so we praise you. It is well with my soul. 
Father, I pray for those who do not yet know you, for those who have been born into Adam's sin, but they have not yet been born again into Christ's forgiveness. I ask that you would draw them to you. May they know the joy of life through your Son. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.